Welcome to the Connect Her podcast for female entrepreneurs that are ready to level up personally and professionally. Here at Connect Her, we believe you are always one connection away from your next life-changing opportunity. So buckle on up and join us as we connect you with the most sought-after experts who will be sharing their exact strategies and experiences that helped them reach success. We're your hosts, Sam Conaway and Rachel Haig. We are the brains behind Connector, which is not your typical boring pitch fest networking community. And we have transformed the lives of over 10,000 women through events, mentorship, and of course, connections. Let's dive in. Can I get a boo? Yeah. <laughs> What is up, Connectors? Today, we are excited to introduce you to the one and only Danielle Gertner. Danielle Gertner is an ownership coach, expert community builder, and podcast host who is on a mission to unlock the world's radical confidence with her signature Own Your Shit Method. She has nearly 10 years of experience as a self-mastery mentor, habit and mindset expert, movement coach, and she uses a unique blend of neuro-linguistic programming, hypnosis, trauma-informed somatics work, story work, and primal play to help her clients make soul-shifting transformations that last a lifetime. If you've been to any of our events or stalked our socials, you've probably seen her speaking and emceeing and maybe even twerking on our stages at our conferences. She's not only stepped on our stage, but she's spoken on TEDx stages and emcees the worldwide fitness high rocks competitions and has worked with various leading brands such as Onnit, Under Armour, Women's Health Magazine, Pop Sugar Fitness, and more, a.k.a. Danielle is a badass. Danielle Gertner, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. That was that was awesome. And the most hype intro I've had in a very long time. So I appreciate the energy you both brought to, to that. I mean, you did our intro at our conference. You made us sound pretty cool. So we had to do the same for you. I appreciate that. And yes, I did twerk. I've twerked on many of your stages now. Every a stage. Yes. That we've Every had. stage that we've Every had. Every stage. Gotta yep. leave my mark, you know. Pop lines. You should. A dog peeing somewhere. That's my mark. Next <laughs> little twerk, twerk. Twerk, twerk, twerk. Little twerk, twerk. All right. They know I was here. We can move on now. That is fantastic. Okay. We are going to dive right in with you today. Are you ready? I'm so ready. I'm really excited to be here. I love you both. And I love the conversations we always have. So lay it on me. Let's do this. Okay. As you know, the show is about getting vulnerable. And one of the things that you do really well and you speak on is owning your shit. And I've heard it on so many podcasts. You've talked about it on our stages and you have so much power in your story. So could you share with us today a little bit about what that journey looked like for you? To owning my shit. To owning your Mm, shit. What does that even mean? Yeah, that's a great question. We'll start there. What does it mean? So owning your shit to me means taking radical responsibility over your life and really claiming your life as your own, regardless of where you came from or how you were raised or whatever your circumstances may have been. Looking at your life now is completely yours. You are the author. You are the owner. You are the creator of whatever it is that's happening for you. And what that 
means and allows you to do is really dictate your experience in any situation. I get to choose my thoughts, my beliefs, my perspectives, my energy, what I say yes and no to, where I spend my time, where I spend my money. I am not a victim to anything or any version of me I was in the past. And ownership, like I said, is is all about taking the power back into your own hands and building the life that you a fuck yes life. <laughs> That's the easiest way to say it. My journey to getting there was a twisty, turny one, I would say. I, I'm i sure like many of your listeners grew up with two parents that really believed in me. And I grew up with a mom who instilled leadership in me from literally before I was in kindergarten. I was running for every fucking captain presidency I could possibly have gotten at that age. I like to joke, <laughs> I've been president of student government since I was in first grade. And <laughs> that that trajectory of leadership continued throughout my life when I was in high school, super involved. Then I went to college, I went to the University of Florida. And it was during my time at the University of Florida when I was put on this conveyor belt. And I call it the conveyor belt because that's what it felt like. It felt feels like we come in and it's not just the University of Florida. I loved my college experience. And I imagine it's like this in, at similar schools, but you come in, there's a mission for you. There's, you know, let's polish them up. Let's teach them how to write a resume, shake a good handshake, get a great internship, package them up and make sure they get a good full-time job by the time they graduate. And they have the security and they have the tools to then grow to their definition of success. And I say that because this was an important pivotal point in my life when I realized I was on this conveyor belt. I had learned how to shake the hands, had the beautiful resume, had done really dope internships at Amazon and the YMCA and was on this trajectory to getting a full-time job. After I graduated, I had two full-time job offers. But around that same time, I started to realize that even though I had all of this all the check boxes, all of the beautiful resume from the outside looking in. I had an amazing relationship with a guy for about seven years, about five years at this point. The community, all the things, I'd started my business. I was still really unhappy. I was really disconnected from who I was. I didn't really know if you were to ask me, like, what does Danielle like to do? The answer was always dependent on what did somebody else teach me? How did somebody else define success, happiness, fulfillment, joy for me? And that led to a lot of internal turmoil. Because from, again, from the outside looking in, it was like, wow, she's fucking crushing it. But on the inside, it's like, why am I so miserable? Why am I so disconnected from who I am? And this is where the ownership really began because it didn't start as ownership. It started as anger. I got really angry with the world and society and my parents of, you promised me this happiness and this joy and this fulfillment if I did all of these things, but I did all of these things. Where, where's the happiness? It didn't show up at my front door yet. <laughs> Amazon tracking package, like what the fuck? And it was in that moment I decided I could either be really angry or I could do something about it and I can start to change my life. And my relationship at the time also was a huge mirror for me. All the anger that I come up from when I was a kid and the way that I treated him, he was always very patient with me. And so these hard questions started to unfold of what is actually really important to me and how do I want to define success, happiness, wealth, community, insert whatever word. And when I started to create my own definitions, and I started to become aware of my own thoughts and my ability to shift those thoughts. And in choosing to do so, I could change my entire reality. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that I could do that, it almost became addicting mm -hmm. because it was like, holy shit, this, this world that I've been living in with these pink tinted glasses on, I just thought the world was pink. And for the first time in my life, I'm taking these glasses off and I can see there's so many other colors. I just had to choose to touch my own face and take the glasses off. So 
that was a pretty broad metaphorical way of taking you down the journey of ownership. A lot of stuff has happened in between there, but it was kind of that moment of not being able to look at myself in the mirror mm -hmm. and really know who I was and, and be excited by who I was that really opened my eyes to like, we need to make some changes here. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think a lot of people, including myself and probably Rachel as well, can relate to that feeling of I did everything right. I did what my parents told me to do. I followed the path. I got the job. I got the career. I got the resume. I have I, I signed up for student council. I was the leader of everything. And for me, that looked like recently, actually, I got engaged. I got a new house. I have I'm pregnant. Like on the outside, it looks like I should be just glowing with so much happiness just oozing it out on everyone but on the inside there was a piece of me that felt like my whole identity wasn't even mine anymore and I felt like I was falling apart and nobody really knew one of the things that I know you speak really well on is people pleasing mm -hmm. how did that play a role in your upbringing and when did that shift and just what comments do you have on people pleasing in in your life it, it was all people pleasing from the time that I went out for my first presidency. And, you know, and I don't have a lot of memories of exactly what that was like, but I, I do remember coming home and my mom being really proud and my dad being really proud. And it's like, okay, cool. Got that validation. Let me go do it again. Let me go do it again. Let me go, go do it again. And I got a lot of external validation. I like to say that I was very addicted to external validation, my whole identity, my whole, my whole perception of whether I was successful and, was based off what other people thought about me. And it started from a very young age, as it does for a lot of people. We are conditionally loved. And I don't think our parents do it on purpose. I also know that my parents love me unconditionally, but that validation of like, you are good and you are successful and this is good, keep going, came from when I won awards, when I won presidencies, when I was leading a room. Although I am a, a very natural born leader, it comes very naturally to me. I started to realize as I got into high school and college and I started to have this emotional intelligence and awareness, holy shit, I'm saying yes to things I don't actually want to say yes to, but I need to show face. I need to make sure people know that I'm I'm relevant. I'm here. Like, you better know who the fuck I am. And if you don't, I'm going to make sure that you do. And it's very poisonous because now I'm not doing things for me. I'm doing things for everybody else. And if somebody else isn't happy, I'm not happy. And if that's how we live our lives based off if somebody else is happy with us, if somebody else thinks that we're successful, we're going to be chasing a ghost forever. We're going to be chasing a ghost forever because how many people are there in the world? A shit ton. How many opinions are there in the world? A shit ton because everybody individually has about a thousand different opinions. And so people pleasing has played a huge role in my life and it's played a role in the guys I chose to date, what I've cho chosen to do with those guys. And I know women, we talk about this a lot, giving ourselves to boys, I will say, to people, please. Like, well, if I don't, then he'll leave. And it just, it, it continued to show up and it continued to exhaust me, exhaust me. Cause I would go home at the end of the day and it's like peeling off. <laughs> I joke with my sister a lot. My, my parents live in Colorado. I will never live in Colorado cause I'm just a South Florida girl through and through. 
give me the least amount of clothes possible. But what I think, what I think about is, you know, when it's really cold out, you have to wear layer upon layer upon layer. The reason, one of the reasons I don't like the cold is because I don't like to be buried under a bunch of layers. It's very suffocating to me. I think it's stupid to put a jacket on and then you get somewhere and you just take it off. And it's a lot of work. And so I imagine people pleasing is like this. You, it, it's suffocating. You are, and I would come home at the end of the day and I'd have to peel off all of these layers and masks and hang all my masks up and, and then come into myself. And then with that was disappointment in myself that I couldn't stand grounded in what it is that I actually wanted. And so people pleasing has played a huge role in recognizing why I'm people pleasing. This is going into my comments on people pleasing. I think it's a really powerful tool. Everything that I talk about today and always talk about, nothing is good or bad. Everything that is within us is powerful information if we choose to look at it that way. And this was what goes back into owning my shit. I recognized that I was a people pleaser. And instead of judging myself for it, I got curious about it. And this is one of the biggest shifts that I had to make when I started owning my shit, because initially there was judgment, there was shame, there was guilt, there was anger at myself. And that just sent me down a negative spiral. And it sends a lot of people down a negative spiral. But when we add compassion and curiosity and we say, huh, okay, well, what's under the people pleasing desire? Well, for me, it's fear of abandonment. There are some very fundamental universal fears that every single human being on this earth shares. We're more similar than you think, and y'all know that. But we share very, very, very similar fears, limiting beliefs, and one of them is abandonment. And I see this come up over and over again with my own clients in my programs. And when I realize, wow, I have this fear of abandonment and it's showing up and causing me to make these decisions, is that the way that I really want to live my life? And so I got curious about the people pleasing. And so if you're experiencing people pleasing tendencies, sit with why. Where did you experience abandonment in your life? Maybe a, uh, there was a particular moment where you felt extremely judged and you never recovered from it. And so there's such a fear of having that judgment again that you are people pleasing. And it was actually really, really healing because I told my mom eventually, I am so much of who I am because of my mom. And again, as our parents do, I really believe they do their best. But I didn't realize growing up that her constant push for me to be in the leadership role, I wouldn't say damaged me. That was the word that popped. She didn't damage me, but it fucked me up a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I don't know if that's lighter. Mom, you fucked me up. Um, but yeah, it's just I didn't realize like she just wanted the best for me. She wanted me to make the most out of life. But then I grew up like if I'm not leading a room and I've worked through this a lot. There was this story that I was not important, that I was going to be left behind, that I was going to be abandoned. And so when I could get clear on that story, which is the point I'm trying to get to, and then I'll shut up, I'll wrap this up. But the point I'm trying to get to is once I was clear on that story, it was like, huh, like a deep breath, a breath of fresh air. And then I went to my mom and I shared that with her. And she was like, wow, I never, you know, that's totally not where my mind was. And being able to have those honest conversations with myself, now I can be very clear when I say yes to something. Is there a deeper intention behind that yes that I need to be aware of? And it's okay if there is, but at least I'm aware of it. Mm. Deep. I know. And also long-winded. Thanks for sticking with that. No, I love that. And one thing that you said that I want to point out is the story I'm telling myself. Mm. And you mentioned on your mom fucking you up a little bit. I think everybody. Mom, I love you first of all. <laughs> mom, I love you so much. Yes. Everybody's <laughs> parents has messed us up a little bit. Just a little bit. And it all comes back to our parents are just humans trying to grow up and figure it out too. 
And so oftentimes these things that we realize we have to face as adults are not even our fault. They're not our parents' fault. It's literally just generations of generations of trying to do our best to raise the kids and learn the things and all of these things. But one thing that you said was the story that I tell myself. And what a that, powerful statement. What a powerful, powerful statement. And that is something that a mentor of mine actually told me was anytime anything's happening, and this is something Sam and I work really well with because being business partners, we're literally like, we're in a marriage over here. You're in a marriage. <laughs> and we had to learn communication right off the bat with each other to make sure that we could have a good relationship building a business. Literally like our child, we're raising this business, right? Was when something came up where we felt like we needed to call each other out, where we noticed our ego burning up a little bit or something that didn't feel like we're being our true authentic selves was to take a step back. And before you point fingers, sit with this is the story I'm telling myself. This is my perspective I'm seeing right now. And this is why I'm seeing it. This is where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And then we're able to have that conversation and truly understand each other. And that is a powerful, powerful, powerful statement. I bet it brings you closer together too. Because how often when we're in conversation, and this is a concept in nonviolent communication, which is something I teach a lot about too. Mm -hmm. And before I taught it, I had to learn a shit ton about it because I did not grow up in a home that communicated nonviolently. It was the opposite. It was constantly yelling at each other at each other's throats, passive aggressiveness, shove your feelings under the rug and then explode later. And the story I'm telling myself is eliminates the assumption that the other person is out to get you, to hurt you, da, 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 whatever it is. You take the blame off the other person and this is taking ownership. The story I am telling myself is this based off my filters and past experiences and traumas and wounds and insecurities that are totally different than yours. Let me not put my shit on you and take full responsibility for this is something that's triggering for me. This is the story. What's your story? And then if there's overlap, cool. But oftentimes there's not overlap. You guys ever share something with each other and you're like, the story I'm telling myself is. And Sam's like, whoa, that didn't even mm -hmm. occur yeah. to me that you are you were thinking that. Mm -hmm. Jared and I, my my partner, I feel of a weird thing about calling my boyfriend, my man friend, my, my partner, my, man's. my man. Um, we do this. We're doing it better and better every day. Let's go, babe. It's like, this is the story I'm telling myself. And to hear back from him, wow, I didn't realize like that wasn't my intention. This is maybe I need to say it in a different way is so healing and gives us the opportunity to rewrite that story. So yeah. good. So good. So and it wasn't good. something that Rachel and I just threw ourselves into a business together and we were great at it. Yeah. This was something I would say it took about a year for us to get good at. And we still, I mean, we have holes in our communication for sure. Then there probably always will be. But it took a year of trial and error with our communication and wanting, both of us wanted to get better. Mm. Both of us wanted the business to succeed and we both wanted each other to succeed. It was the ego game that would kept getting in the way of that. And so how can we figure out a way to navigate this together, even if we clash sometimes? So it took a year <laughs> to start to get good at communication with, with one another. So I want to make a note of that because I feel like sometimes people will hear, oh, you and Rachel have such great communication or they'll, they'll hear like all of these communication tips, yet they don't really hear that sometimes it takes a trial and error period totally. as well. You can have all of the tools, tips, tricks in the world of the whole library and still it doesn't override your humanness mm -hmm. as much as you might want it to. I've, I teach this shit 
And am I, you think I show up perfect to my relationship? Mm-hmm. Fuck no. This man's about to move in with me. You have the, all my triggers, all my fears <laughs> are coming up. All, all my inner child, yeah. like, bitch, you better not get your hairs on my floor. <laughs> and and so we, do, we don't escape our humanness. And this is the fun part of owning your shit is, mm-hmm. yes, we get better. We grow or I can handle conversations differently, as I'm sure you both do. But there's there's certain wounds or certain pokey soft spots that we can't anticipate. Mm-hmm. And what you just shared is the intentionality that you both have. You both have the same vision and mission, which is to come back to love and to come back to why you started working together in the first place. And that's one of the greatest gifts, because even through all the noise of the humanness, if you can sink down and remember, wait, we love each other and we love what we do. We remember why we do what we do. The ego can soften a little bit. Let's get you. Listeners didn't know they were coming to therapy today. <laughs> Family therapy, my whole business life is, therapy. My whole life is therapy. <laughs> Every day is therapy, <laughs> always, yes. Okay, I want to shift gears a little bit into owning your shit and a really heavy thing that you had to own. When I first met you, you were actually one of the first people I met when I came here to Austin. And I know, Squatch Fitness That's introduces good. everybody to everybody. <laughs> but one of the things that I really related to you on or we found out that we related on was losing our siblings Mm -hmm. and personally I had to like sit with just that thought before I even met you Mm -hmm. because my sister's name was Danielle yeah and I literally went through like I would not call you Danielle (laughs) I'd be like (laughs) er Sam and I would be like talking or I'd be like I'm gonna introduce you to Gertner Mm -hmm. Gertner like I had to get over that a little bit And grief is something that hits us at all times. It hits us when we don't expect it. And it's a really heavy thing to talk about. I mean, you and I have even had some conversations where it's like we can relate on something, but we don't even know how to talk about it with each other. Mm. So we're going to we're going to take it into therapy session part two. (laughs) Um, I want to talk about grief. And one thing I really applaud you for is how I've watched you allow yourself to feel those heavy things and turn that pain into purpose and turn that pain into how can you just show up and share and live for him versus sit in this heavy, heavy thing. Yeah. So how have you owned your shit with grief and really turned that pain into purpose so far? Ooh, yeah. Thank you for bringing this up. It's, it's actually one of my favorite things to talk about. I get asked on every podcast, like, are you okay talking about him? I'm like, please ask me about my brother. I want to talk about him every day of my life. I shy away from it sometimes because I know I'm trying to rewrite the story that it's heavy for people because death is something that we avoid like the plague, yet it's something we all share. Like Mm. newsflash, if you didn't know, we're all going to (laughs) die. We don't know when. And I think that's the scary part for people. We don't know how, but we're all going to die. And I really one of my new missions since he passed away is to normalize talking about death and to talk and talking about grief and talking about our fears around dying. Obviously, it was it's been the hardest, the hardest experience of my life. And he passed very suddenly. For those of you that don't don't know, my brother's name was Zachary and he passed away from a fentanyl overdose. Yeah. And it rocked my world. I was just telling the girls before the podcast, April 28th will be two years. So I'm very tender and emotional this month knowing that it's coming up. But how have I owned it? I didn't at first. I didn't know how. And I think that's okay. 
I read it. There's no rule book, right? Did you get a rule book? Because no. if you did, we'd be pissed. Didn't, if you didn't I'm share trying it. to write one. <laughs> you didn't share it. <laughs> no one gave me a blueprint. Nobody gave us. Yeah, there's no blueprint. And so when he first passed away, I mean, it was such a it was such a shock. Um, he was here one day. He was gone the next day. And I I don't remember much of the first month, six weeks after he passed away. I went home to Colorado, obviously, to be with my family and my poor mom who had also lost a sister and lost my grandma, her mom, eight months prior. Mm. It was a really, really heavy time. And when I came back, I started to try to figure out how do I go back into my life? Because there's there's changes that happen progressively in our lifetimes. And then there's things that happen to us where one day we're one person and the next day we're somebody different. And I know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Same thing for you. You just had a child. You are not the same person you were even when you were pregnant with Jackson, right? Mm -hmm. You pop that boy out and you are a different person. <laughs> there are certain things in our lives that are just pivotal and change us immediately. And how I own my shit was I gave myself space to relearn who I was as somebody who just lost their brother. And the more I tried to force myself into doing the things, doing things the way I'd always done them, the more miserable I was because it was no longer authentic. I lost a lot of patience for a lot of people. I cut a lot of people out of my life after that were just surface level and weren't owning their shit because it's just this, this huge hammer smacked me in the head that was like, you could die at any time. Stop wasting any second or any moment of your life. And so relearning, and I think this is whether you're grieving or not, I think it's so important to understand that identities, it is natural for identities to shift over our lifetimes. And it's when we grip so hard to the old identity, that's where we start to struggle. When we don't allow the newness to come in and wash over us, like you just experienced as well, mm -hmm. becoming a mom and a, a wife and all the things. You're a wife, right? You're a fiance. fiance. Sorry, I wasn't sure if that <laughs> happened yet. She's a fiance. But like all these identities. And so owning the grief, I think, just to kind of wrap this up, is allowing yourself the space to be who you are and I just decided I wasn't I wasn't going to be inauthentic to who I was if I came and showed up to a workout because I still I led a retreat two months after he passed away. I had been planning the retreat, obviously, for months before then. Ten women, my sister included on that retreat. And we are when he passed away, my sister is like, are we still going to Costa Rica? And I was like, yeah, we are. And I had to think a lot, a lot changed of what workshops I was going to do, how I was going to present myself. And the, one of the biggest gifts I gave myself and I know my clients and my community was honesty and authenticity of like, if you see me cry, don't be sad. This is humanness. This is me feeling my humanness. And for me, I believe grief is love unexpressed. My brother and I were close, but there's a lot of things I didn't say to him that I wish I had said. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we have a closer relationship now. I talk to him all the time, as I'm sure you talk to Danielle. Yeah. And so owning the grief was just owning that I was, I learned about a deeper part of myself and it has enhanced every area of my life. Of course, I'm sad that my brother is not here, but what it has given me is a deeper sense of self and a much more grounded sense of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. I believe so much in my mission, you know, owning the grief is just allowance, allowing it to be and, and to not push it away I could grieve when I brush my teeth that happens randomly just looking at myself in the mirror and usually moments where people are really happy like weddings have been really hard my brother's best friend just had his bachelor party 
And obviously he wasn't there and all the boys were together and seeing those pictures was really hard. But honoring that depth of feeling means that I'm alive and that Mm. I love somebody a lot, a lot. Yeah, I can really relate to what you said, where it's almost like you have a deeper connection with your brother now. Not that you didn't before, but Mm -hmm. it's a different version of connection when that person isn't in the room. They're not having the conversation with you, but you can feel so deeply that they're there with you in a moment. I got a crazy story to tell you. I'm ready for if it. If you're open to some woo-woo yeah, stuff. I'm open to Let's some woo-woo stuff. I, I wasn't a big believer in, you know, we move on after. I, I wasn't sure, right? We're told all of these things growing up. And this is another thing, like define it for yourself. But I had never really thought about what do I think happens after we die? And I believe now that we evolve. We go into consciousness and we don't have to go down my philosophy of what happens if you want to know. We'll be here all day. (laughs) I'm ready for it. (laughs) But there was a really crazy point a couple weeks after he passed away. He had a little bit of life insurance money through his work that my sister and I ended up splitting. And I had that check for months because I just couldn't bring myself to deposit it. The craziest thing is realizing that a human that can be sitting in front of you ends up when they die coming down to like a couple of things of clothing, maybe some money yeah, and some pictures. That's it. Yeah. All of his belongings, we have in a couple boxes and it's pretty wild. That was a big reality check for me of like this shit that we walk around with and we claim is so important. None of it matters. And so anyway, my mom calls me and was like, Hey, I know that it's been hard for you to deposit the check, but I really need you to do it. Like I need you to get it out of my account. And so, oh man, I'm driving to the bank and I have a picture of me, my brother and my sister on my dashboard and it covers my gas gauge. Mm. And so I'm driving and I realize going in to the, well, let me back up. I get to the bank and I take the check and I'm, I go to take the picture with me. I don't know what called me to grab the picture, but I did. And my mileage read 4444.44. It was 11, 11 a.m., Uh, something like that. And so I was like, weird. Okay. So, and then I realized at the time, like, holy shit, I'm on empty. Like not even like one bar, like I was on empty. And so I go in, I cash the check. I come back into the car. I'm driving home and I run out of gas on the highway. The only other time I have ever, ever run out of gas was in Gainesville, Florida, where my brother and I both lived when we went to school. He was in my car like two days before I had run out of gas in Gainesville. And he said to me, like, you better go fill your tank up. You're going to run out of gas. And I did. And he had to come save me and like bring me gas. And so I'm sitting on the side of the highway, both like crying and laughing at the same time because I knew it was him. The 4444, the running out of the gas, because I'm very responsible usually with getting (laughs) gas. And it was just kind of this moment of synchronicity and just alignment and feeling him so fully of just like, I'm okay. I love you. I'm here. I'm here. And he was such a little fucker sometimes you know he's <laughs> such a little fucker sometimes so that I think that was really his way of being like I'm here and that really shifted my belief of he didn't he didn't just die it's like I don't know the exact poem but it's like don't miss me like I'm gone I'm just in the next room mm-hmm. and I really do believe that we that we just evolve we go back to where we came from whatever that is love energy and energy can't be created or destroyed it just it changes form So wherever he is, I know he's having a great time. I can really, really relate to that story. And I love that story because as you're talking, like so many things are coming (laughs) into my mind of things that I've experienced as well. 
prior to my sister passing, I was like not a woo woo person at all. I thought like meditation, anything, energy, like I was like, y'all are crazy. I don't, I don't, I don't see, I don't feel difference. Like I didn't believe in it. Long story short, this is a story for a different day, but I ended up running into a medium and she told me about this necklace she was like, I don't know. I don't know if you believe me. I was like really standoffish. I did not believe in energy work, nothing. And she's like, you don't have to believe me. I just want to tell you about this picture of a necklace. Your sister keeps showing me this necklace. She like drew it out on a paper and I took this picture home and I like put it in my car and I was like, okay, I do not believe you. Like I've never seen this necklace in my life. Like fake, fake, fake. And a couple weeks later, I get home and my dad's like, hey, I bought you a gift. And it was literally the necklace. Oh my God. Literally the necklace. And it was those moments where I have. Yes. I have the picture and I have the necklace now. I literally I'll have to send it to you. Shit's real, fam. But around that time was when I realized grief is a really heavy thing. And the heavy parts of it never go away. They just change. We grow bigger around the grief. We do. We do. But to turn it into the positive side there are moments now where like crazy shit will happen and I'll be like, seriously, Danielle, <laughs> like, I know you're here, but like, give me a break. <laughs> and so there's that lighter side of grief too, knowing that they don't have to be in the room with you. They're not traveling with you. They're with you always now in your heart and everything that you do. I think grief is a really beautiful thing. I didn't think that when it first happened. Yeah. You, you got to go through what you got to go through, but I think it's a really beautiful thing. And I think the reason I feel that way is because it brought me closer to home. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by home is, and again, this is kind of woo-woo, but it brought me closer to understanding who we actually are as humans and why we're actually here. And it lifted a lot of the veils that, even though I was owning my shit for a while at this point, that I didn't realize I was still walking through life with. A little, just a a little blinded still to some of these things. And I think it's been a really... It's not easy, but it's beautiful. And I think a lot of things in life that are really beautiful are not easy. And this is definitely one of them. And I am more me, more grounded in me, more sure of who I am than ever before because I've had to be. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever used this, but this is something that helped me through my grief was what would Danielle do? or Mm. What would Zachary do? Mm -hmm. I'd start to just ask myself, okay, in this moment, what would they do? And part of that is what is now connector for me. Mm. I was always the girl in the back of the classroom. I ate lunches in the bathroom. I didn't want to work with people. If there was a school project, I did it all on my own. I was not a community person. I was not a relationship person. I was a lone bird. I was on my own. But Danielle was all about community, Mm -hmm. all about friends. She always was surrounded by friends. She was a cheerleader. She was a dancer. She had teams she was working with. And so when we started connector which is formerly known as empower part of that was like me asking myself what would danielle do Mm. she would let community in Mm -hmm. she would let people in she would let people help her and i've found that to be a really valuable tool in life but also in business is having those connections having those relationships and letting people in when you need it most being vulnerable so how has maybe your journey with grief or just your journey with owning your shit how have connections along your journey helped you building those relationships how those helped you along your journey oh man so many ways I mean every I I really believe that there are no coincidences only synchronicities and that 
mirrors exist all around us. I don't necessarily think everybody's a mirror of you. Like I used to think like, oh man, if that person's an asshole, that must mean and some part of me is an asshole. <laughs> you spot it. You got it. <laughs> Shit. Um, but there's a couple things here. I think the mirror thing for sure has been really powerful. Like if, if I'm triggered by somebody, if jealousy comes up, which that was, that's been a big theme in my life that I've really, really worked through is jealousy, jealousy with girlfriends. And how does that person call me up? I really love that statement. Instead of I'm calling myself out or I'm calling you out, I'm calling you up and, mm -hmm. and I'm calling myself up and the interactions and connections that I've made whether it's through grief, if something triggered me. And again, curiosity glasses, right? I'm getting curious as why am I getting triggered? Why, what is this person showing me that now I have the ability to sit with and learn something about myself? That's all it is. And then the other thing is I really learned who my, specifically through the grief, I really learned who my true friends were. I learned who had the capacity to hold something that is heavy and real and how many people were not able to or willing to. And there was no judgment at all to the people who were not able to or willing to. But I just I had a new capacity and a new standard in my life. And if they could not hold the capacity of who I now was with the grief. And again, it's just this it, it's a constant feedback loop. All of our connections, our community is a constant feedback loop with Warrior Women ATX. The leadership team is a constant feedback loop. And if you could look at every single interaction, every single person as an opportunity to get closer to yourself what would your world look like? Yeah. Every single interaction. No, I love that. And I feel like that comes with just being present in the conversations that you're in. Presence is key. And one thing that we do, of course, is host networking events. And so oftentimes we tell people, drop your egos at the door, mm -hmm. like show up, just be your true authentic self and make that connection because you're always one connection away from your next opportunity. You know, your, your next favorite tagline ever. I will never <laughs> stop saying this. You're one connection away from your next best friend, your next equity partner, your next boyfriend, whatever it is. But you have to be present and you have to just be yourself to actually mend a relationship that's going to be worth it. You yeah. know, a real relationship there. I want to shift gears a little bit into the business side of connections for you. You've worked with a lot of high level brands. Mm -hmm. You're now working with Onnit. You've worked with women's fitness or women's health. You've worked with Nailed Pop it. Sugar. Nailed it. <laughs> but you've worked with some big brands and you spoke on TEDx stages. What was the factor in every single one of those connections to get you to those points, but also nurture and mend those relationships with these brands? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is going to sound kind of cliche, but there is no secret magic formula that I have. I think it's two things. It's authenticity yeah. and it's a genuine, genuine desire to connect with that brand. And again, it's what we talked about earlier. It's got to come back to, am I clear on my intention? Because if my intention for Women's Health Magazine is, I'm just trying to get on the cover, which don't get me wrong, it's a huge fucking dream, y'all. I'm putting it out there. I have a title in my mind. The Shout one minute out. the one minute wiggle will change the world. That's going to be the title. <laughs> and it's just going to be me on there twerking. Yes. Um, it's going to be great. Look out for it. And then Mark frame your it. territory. Yep. I'll sign your <laughs> cover. up on there. <laughs> but... I'm very authentic and I know that's not always easy for people. I, I don't know what my secret thing is. I, I think it's part of nurture and nature. Yeah. Um, I had a you know family for the most part that was really loving of who I was and I was very loving and am always very loving of who I am. Even if I don't show up the best way, I still give that part of me compassion. But in it doesn't matter what room I'm in. And somebody just gave me this compliment the other day and it was really nice to hear 
They were like, it doesn't matter if I'm seeing you at leading a boot camp, a workshop, or you're standing on stage, you have the same energy every single time. You mm. are the same. It, and I don't mean like I'm always high energy. It's just, I'm always me. I'm never going to be a different version of me. And I think carrying that is what has allowed brands to see who I am and really align and resonate. Because anytime I've tried to filter myself or mold myself into what that brand might want, that's people pleasing. Yeah. <laughs> I am no longer doing it for me. I'm doing it for the validation of somebody else seeing me. And I know it's easy to get caught up on that. Of course, it's like, well, I really want women's health to see me or I really want Google. I just worked with Google. I really want them to see who I am. But if they don't see me and love me for all of me, if there's not unconditional love and support there, we're not going to be a good fit. Because eventually, even if you don't see it right now, even if I'm hiding a part of me right now, it's going to come up later. And the universe is real good at pulling us real quick out of something that we're no longer aligned with. So that authenticity and like I said, that genuine intention, you have to be very clear on the intention because the, the intention is, it's not bad if the intention is ego driven, but if there is a negative ego attachment of I just want to show face and there's not really connection to the brand's values or how they show up in the world, how do they treat women? Are they inclusive? Are they diverse? Are they like, these are things that are very important to me. Are they, do they stick to their word? Are they blunt and authentic? Like those are things that are very important to me. If they don't own their shit, I'm not working with you. Yeah. And so I think it's those two, those two factors is, and then I'll say a third one, shoot your fucking shot, shoot your fucking shot. Because the worst thing that's going to happen is you hear no. Yeah. And then you shoot it again. I Thank sent you next. I sent, I literally <laughs> sent an email about this, like. Women's Health, I shot a shot with them two and a half years ago, before I even actually three years ago now, before I even moved to Austin, I was doing these quarantine quickies because, you know, it was fucking quarantine, quarantine quickies. quickies. Oh, yeah, girl. <laughs> 20 minute workout moment for that name. <laughs> Shout out to the quarantine quickies. Yeah, I was leading these virtual workouts. They were 20 minutes long because I knew everybody was inside. I hated working out at home. Oh, hated it. But I had no other choice. So I was like, all right, well, just 20 minutes. So anyway. I reached out to them. I was like, hey, I have this really cool thing I'm doing called Quarantine Quickies. I'd love to do it on your platform or blah, 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 blah. Ghosted me. <laughs> Message them again. Oh, my God. Ghosted me. And then here we go. Two years later, I kept shooting my shot because I believed in me. I believed in what women's health was doing. And friend of a friend, we made a connection. I got connected and now I get to work with them, which is super fucking cool. But that would not have happened if I didn't shoot my shot. If I was paralyzed by my fear and trust me, I had a lot of fear. But if I was paralyzed by that fear of I'm not good enough, imposter syndrome, I'm not smart enough, I'm not ready enough, I'm whatever, whatever we, we tell ourselves, you're sure as shit going to hear a no. So shoot your shot, be authentic as hell and be very clear with what your intentions are and why you're doing what you're doing. I love it. Feel the fear and do it anyways. So I think a lot of our women want to be better at speaking, if mm. not public speakers. For me personally, you talked about judgment and maybe a little bit of comparison earlier in the podcast. And that is definitely something that I battled with, especially being someone who grew up very shy, not really using my voice. I also did sit in the back of the classroom when I would go up to present in front of the class, I would turn bright red. I would stutter when I spoke. I would have word for word written on a note card of exactly what I was supposed to say that I would write the night before and I would have anxiety the entire day. 
and then would come to speaking in front of the classroom and I can still feel like the emotions mm-hmm. right now of like my chest getting r- bright red, my throat like closing up and I would look hey, and I would safe still... Here. You're safe here. You. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's coming up again. You're safe here. <laughs> Thank you. I need the reminder. <laughs> and I would mess up the words. I would I would still not be able to read the note card. My hands would get all sweaty. I would just think everybody's judging me. And then I would look at someone like yourself or someone that I would see on stage or someone that had the most amount of confidence in the room. And I would be like, wow, like how do they carry themselves like that? How can they do that? I want to do that one day. And for me, it was repetition. It was mm. repetition, feeling that fear, doing it anyways, putting myself out there over and over and over again, regardless of how silly I felt, regardless of how much I stuttered, regardless of me wanting to go into the bathroom and cry after. This is something that I wanted and I wanted to get better at it. So I was going to keep doing it. And it felt like I was putting myself through torture. <laughs> so someone like you who comes off very, very confident, you have a very strong voice, you're able to move a room, you emceed our entire event, and you got 300 people who are all standing, talking to one another in very deep conversations. You got them all to pay attention to you, sit down and be quiet. (laughs) And I was like, who is this woman? (laughs) Just take a second. I remember that moment we pulled Danielle My jaw was on the floor. And we were like, get their butts in seats. We We gotta make it start. (laughs) Not once, but multiple times throughout the night. And I was just like blown away by your ability to handle a room like that. So what tips can you give or maybe lessons you've learned when it comes to public speaking, presenting, how do you prepare yourself or whatever you want to share on that? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for that compliment. It was a great joy to get everyone to sit the fuck down. (laughs) Um, Oh, man, a a lot of things are flowing to me right now. I will say this is something that's come very natural to me ever since I was little. I absolutely think it's something you can learn and practice as you both have. I've watched you both do amazing on stage. Let's go back to what we talked about earlier. What is the story I'm telling myself? The story I'm telling myself is what around public speaking. And I think that's a great place to start because if, and I want, if you're listening to this and you have a story, write it down. What is the title of the story and what is the story? And then go back in and see where you're giving your power away. Whose beliefs are those that you're writing down about what you're capable of and what you can and can't do? Because that's, that's a big practice of mine before I go on stage. It's like, I still have imposter syndrome. A big thing that's come up for me lately is like, are people annoyed of me because I have so much power and I can really command a room or people annoyed of that. And it's like, okay, I honor that that belief is present, but what do I want to believe? And so before I go on stage, it's like, what is the energy that I want to embody? And something that came to me as you were talking is I did this really cool workshop when I was in Costa Rica. One of the first times I ever went to Costa Rica, we worked with horses. I was on somebody else's retreat, a a group called Startup Island, formerly Startup Island, now Third Nature. And it's an amazing workshop. We learned about the energies of a herd. Hmm. And not that I'm at all calling your audience horses, <laughs> but <laughs> where are you getting with this? My point is in this workshop, it's one of the most powerful workshops I've ever gone through. Horses communicate through energy. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think there's five different roles in a herd. There's a centennial, there's the predator, there's the dominant, there's all these different roles. And the way they communicate is embodying this energy. And so when we worked with horses, Our mission was to get them to do what we wanted them to do without a whip, just through our energy. Hmm. 
just through our energy. It was the coolest thing ever. And the only way I could do that, like if I wanted to be dominant, I had to embody Mm. dominant energy. When I did it correctly, the horse would follow me wherever I'd want. If I wanted to switch roles, I would soften my energy. I would bow my head and now the horse would lead me. I have a really cool video I got to send you guys afterwards. And so why that got brought up is I have to embody a certain energy. Energy is contagious. If I'm embodying a certain energy, you're going to feel it. The audience is going to feel it. If I feel and embodying confidence and joy and pleasure and presence, they're going to mirror that. That's just how we work. Think about Jackson. Does he mirror you? Maybe he's too young Mm -hmm. still, but he will. He's going to start to mirror you Mm -hmm. because that's what kids do. That's how we learn. And we don't get rid of that just because we get older. We can still embody that. And so I think that's another thing is embody who you want to be up there. You can honor that there's a part of you that's scared. You can honor that there's a part of you that if and oh, but judgment, it's okay. I don't shame her. She she's usually up right up on stage with me. She's in the fucking room right now. She's sitting on my shoulder. (laughs) But it comes back to who do you choose? Who are you going to choose that part of you, which I call the small self, not because they're bad, but they're a smaller self or my highest self. And that choice is mine. We don't think the choice Mm -hmm. is ours, but it is ours. And so, yeah, I think it's a it's a combination of those things. And again, going back to what I said before, shoot your shot. You cannot get better at public speaking if you do not publicly speak. And if you get paralyzed by analysis paralysis, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people do, let me write the perfect speech. Here's something that came to me as you were sharing your story of how you would write things word for word. You put so much pressure on yourself. You had to have every line figured out. Mm -hmm. And what I hear from that is distrust. You didn't trust yourself to be able to stand up there and to make it happen. And so if you're going to speak on stage, really, if you're going to do a lot of things in life, one of the first fundamental things, and we talk about at the beginning of all of my programs, is what is your relationship to self-trust? How much do you trust yourself? If you have a strong level of self-trust and self-love, you can get through any any single challenge. People have been asking me left and right, how are you feeling about Jared moving? Oh my God, that's such a big step. You guys have been distanced for three years. Now you're going to live together? Like, what the fuck are you guys doing? How are you planning all that? And although I'm very scared, there's one thing I'm not scared of. I trust the fuck out of myself. Mm. And I know that that will not lead me astray. And I know he trusts the fuck out of himself. So how does anyway, how does someone go about building that self-trust? Oh, that's a great question. I think forgiving the parts of yourself first that you don't trust or the moments in your life where you didn't trust yourself and something might have happened Mm. because that was a big one for me. Here are the moments in my life. Maybe you write it down. Here are the moments in my life where I did not trust myself. And this is how it felt. This is what ended up happening. You hear this a lot with domestic violence, with assault. Women will say afterwards, I had this gut feeling and I did not listen. And this is not pointing blame. This is totally just a recognition of we ignore our self-trust, our intuition. And it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility. It is not always our fault, but it is our responsibility to change that and to build that. And so I would start there. Just what are some times that you haven't trusted yourself? What does self-trust look like and feel like in your body? And what are some of the very small ways you can start practicing self-trust? It could be something as small as this is what I started practicing when I wanted to get more in tune with my intuition. I would look at two flavors of ice cream and I would say, which one do we want? And I would go with the first one. Hmm. And if I didn't like it, 
when I got home and I was eating it, I'm like, oh, this tastes like shit. <laughs> it was like, was I actually listening to my intuition or was there pressure there? Mm. So you could start with just very small bits of self-trust. Telling yourself, that's another thing. Say it to yourself. I trust myself. Mm. I've got me. When you're in a moment of maybe panic or fear or you're just not in the seat of self and cool, calm, collected is my seat of self, put your hand on your heart, take a deep breath and say, I trust myself. There's an activity that I have all of my clients do. It's more like an ongoing activity. It's three statements on the mirror. I love you for, I forgive you for, I trust you too. I love you for dot, dot, dot. I forgive you for dot, dot, dot. I trust you too, dot, dot, dot. And when I first started my own your shit journey, I, a friend of mine told me these three prompts. I wrote them on my mirror and every single day I would look at myself in the eye and I would say, I love you for whatever it was that day. I mm -hmm. forgive you for whatever it was that day. I trust you to whatever. And at first I couldn't look at myself in the eye. I would get, I would cry because I, I didn't feel like I loved myself. I didn't feel like I forgave myself and I didn't feel like I trusted myself. And part of that is because how many of us have said that to ourselves? How many of us have heard that from the people that we, like our parents? Mm -hmm. I never heard my parents tell me that they forgave me. I never heard my parents tell me that they, that they trusted me. Eh. No, I don't really remember that. <laughs> they loved me. They always told me they loved me. But when we give ourselves those words of, of affirmation and that validation, it's we're reparenting the part of ourselves that doesn't feel like they're trustworthy, that doesn't feel like they deserve forgiveness, that doesn't feel like they deserve love. And over time, that muscle strengthens. Okay. So on that note, I'm going to need to take you out to the farm and I want you to <laughs> teach me how to lead my horse with my energy because Dude, that was beautiful. It. Shout out to Sally who led that workshop. This woman who works, she works a, a lot with children with disabilities and, mm -hmm. and not just children, actually adults with disabilities as well with the horses. Hands out one of the most impactful workshops I've ever, ever experienced. And after I got back from Costa Rica, this was maybe like a year later, I was in Gainesville. I went to this park. North Florida is very naturey. It's super beautiful. And it was Sweetwater Wetlands Park. It's known for having wild horses. And I was sitting out there reading, doing my thing. And all of a sudden, this herd of wild horses, I see them in a distance. And, you know, everyone's taking their pictures. And I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to stay chilling. Little by little, they get closer and closer to me. Now they're like decently close to me. And I just remembered what she told me. Breathe let go of all of my energy, soften my energy, calm my energy, ground my energy. I got so calm and grounded that they surrounded me. They were grazing. They surrounded me. The baby pony laid down at my feet. And, oh, and I was just wow. sitting in the middle of them. And I, there wasn't a lot of people. And I was like, I hope somebody's watching this. <laughs> this is so fucking cool. And it just was... Like what a testament to the power that our energy holds. And you all have experienced this. When somebody's in a bad mood, do you feel it? Whether oh, they yeah. say something or not? Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Our energy, right? Get woo-woo again. We have an aura. Some people's auras stretch further away from their physical bodies than others. But that energy is felt. It's like when you put your hands, like put your hands, don't touch me, but put it like up on top of me. A little closer, Sam. A little closer. Do you feel like a little bit of vibe? You feel the heat. Mm -hmm. You feel the vibration. I definitely yeah. feel the heat off your hands. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our that's our force field, our energy field. So it was cool. We'll go to the farm. 
We'll go to the farm. I'm ready for it. Hot stuff happens at the farm. Oh, Sam's been to the farm. Go <laughs> <laughs> to the farm. That sounds so fun. Well, today has been a deep, deep episode. And, you know, we talked a lot about people pleasing. We talked a lot about public speaking, about working with big brands, about your journey, owning your shit. But I think it all comes down to one deeper thing. And it is getting to know yourself at the deepest levels, trusting yourself knowing your fears, facing your fears, working with your ego versus against it sometimes, that is truly the way to accomplish anything in life, anything in business, whether you're facing grief or whether you're trying to build the biggest business of your dreams, it all comes down to the relationship that you have with yourself. 100%. Where can people get connected with you if they want to learn more about your journey? You host retreats. You have one of the biggest female fitness groups out here in Austin called Warrior Women. Let's go. Like you do so many incredible things. Where can people get connected with you online or in person? Easiest way online, Instagram at Danielle Gertner, website DanielleGertner.com and the Own Your Ship podcast. Um, season three where is in the works. There's two seasons out right now. And that's a great way to get a peek inside my brain and my heart. I'm very raw and authentic on the pocket. Like you said, you're on my way over here. I was listening to a couple episodes and I was like crying and I felt like I knew you. I really share a lot of me through there. And if you're in Austin, come check out Warrior Women ATX. Come swing some bells with me at On It Gym. And yeah, if there's really any way that I can support you along your journey, I'd be it would be an honor of mine. Beautiful listeners. You can find all of her details in the show notes. Connect with her. Give her a follow. Listen to the podcast. You'll probably cry. It's okay to get deep. Really quick, before we head out, Danielle. Can you make me twerk on camera? Yes. I will. Really quick, before we head out, Danielle, what is next on your journey? Is there anything big you're working on? Where are you headed? What do you got behind the scenes in the works? Oh, this is such a good question. I wish we had more time. I'm in a big transition. I said this to my friend on a walk the other day. I was like, I feel like a turtle who's out of her her shell, who's just swimming in Ladybird Lake looking for another shell. So I'm really (laughs) vulnerable right now and very naked and and out there and exposed because I'm I'm moving into a bigger shell. I think I've spent the last nine years in my 20s, I just turned 29, trying a lot of things on, a lot of ideas, identities, beliefs, trying them on for size. I have found what I feel like really works. And now the next, I feel like this year is going to be a chrysalis of those ideas. So what's next for me is just continuing to get more clear, more deep, more grounded in what it is that I offer And I don't know entirely what that's going to look like. And it's simultaneously terrifying and so fucking exciting because I feel like I have so much opportunity to continue to impact in a way that feels really good for me and for the world, hopefully. Beautiful. That's a beautiful way to describe it, except for I don't think turtles can leave their shells. Pretty sure their shells grow with them. Oh, uh, well, what is it? A crab? A crab. Okay, right, I'm a crab. I was like, I know it's I'm a crab. <laughs> Shit. He didn't correct me. Fucking Joe. So talking about my, okay, I'm a crab. But turtles are cuter. I'm a crab out of her shell who's looking for a bigger shell. Love that. Super beautiful, but. <laughs> Super beautiful. But you kind of sounded like a fucking idiot. No, I, was, I wasn't questioning. I was like, I, I just don't think that's possible. That's so funny. You want to know what I thought of? I was watching Over the Hedge. You know that kid movie? Yes. yes. Love it. Okay. He, he pops out of his turtle shell. So I was like, oh. It yeah, must I'm, be true. I'm totally like, then a it's turtle. true. No, it's no, true. I, I think you're totally right. 
Danielle is a turtle and a crab all in one. All in one, baby. Doing big things. Make sure you guys connect with her. And now we're going to have a dance party. We're going to twerk it out. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace out, y'all. I don't twerk. Lies. <laughs> I've seen it. It looks like this. It looks like this. Thanks for tuning in to the Connect Her podcast. We are your hosts, Sam and Rach. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to show your support, make sure to connect your friends with your favorite episode, leave a review, and download that favorite episode for later. And remember, you're always one connection away. We'll catch you in the next episode.